to everyone. My name is Jürgen Lian and I am uh, the head of shipping equity research at DMB Markets. I would uh, like to welcome you to Capital Link's Shipping Sectors webinar series. In this series, we have the opportunity to delve into the latest trends, challenges and opportunities shaping the shipping sector. Today's webinar will specifically be on the LPG shipping market. Uh, joining us in today's webinar, we have uh, Randi Navdal Becklund, CFO of Avance Gas. We have Christian Sørensen, CEO of BWLPG. We have Ted Young, CFO of Dorian LPG. And we have uh, Mats Petezako, uh, CEO of Navigator Holdings. Um, the opening slide contains information as to where each company is listed and the ticker symbols. And the webinar will consist of a roundtable discussion and will last for one hour, roughly 45 minutes for the panel discussion, followed by a 15 minute Q&A session. Participants can submit their questions using the Q&A button on your screen during the webinar, and we will do our best to answer them during the Q&A session. Please note that Capital Link will be conducting three polls during the webinar that will come in the start of the Q&A session uh, that will strictly be used for informational and educational purposes. We, will, uh, we would appreciate your participation in answering these poll questions. Before we begin our call, please note that this discussion is strictly for informational and educational purposes and should not be relied upon. The webinar does not constitute an offer to buy or sell securities or investment advice or advice of any kind, and Capital Link bears no responsibility for the content. In terms of further disclosure, Capital Link is the investor relations advisor to some of the companies participating in this webinar, also DMB Markets, and I cover several of the listed the shipping companies included in today's webinar. So that was that. So let's begin with our discussions. Um, and uh, to, to start things off, I mean, uh, LPG this year has really been a fantastic shipping sector. It was the same last year, to be honest. So it's been uh, two years running. Uh, the current uh, VLGC spot rates are record high in the historical context. Uh, and just to start things off, because we look at these uh, time chart equivalent rates that we look at on the index. Um, and I would just uh, want to ask you, you know, is, is it as simple as looking at that number and that is the, the number that you will generate in terms of revenues? Or do we have to consider some other things that get lost in translation here? Uh, and I don't know if uh, maybe Don, they would like to, to start that one. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, and thank you for, for having me. Um, good to see you all, uh, Theodor, Christian and uh, and Mats. Uh, yeah, so comparing our results with the index, uh, it has become a bit uh, more complex than than it has, has been in the past. It's basically looking at the uh, AG market, uh, Rastanura uh, index. Uh, you, you should somewhat uh, uh, reflect the earnings in the books for AGE loadings. Uh, when that said, very few cargoes are, are going to Japan, um, representing the, the Rastanura. Uh, more volumes are going to, to India from AGE, uh, maybe some also to China. Uh, but looking at the US uh, BLPG3 index, it's, uh, it's not uh, becoming relevant anymore. And this is much caused by the Panama Canal bottlenecks we're currently seeing, uh, which is caused by the worst drought since the canal opened in, in 1914. Uh, so 
in, in general, the Panama Canal has been an increasing in, in efficiency factor of the VLTC market since the Panama Canal authorities introduced the new regulations back uh, in uh, uh, 1st uh, of Jan 2020. Um, and after that date, the VLGC saw down prioritized to transit the canal, whereas the LNG container and passenger ships are, are preferred. Uh, and on top of those regulations, we have uh, uh, the drought uh, canal uh, situation in, in the Panama. Uh, so given the massive amount of water needed to refill the canal for each transit, uh, the canal authorities have been forced to limit the number of uh, transit uh, this number uh, this summer. Uh, so in that sense, it's the worst we have seen uh, in terms of waiting time ever. Um, and looking at the BLPG3 index um, uh, market quoting, uh, both in, in terms of dollar per ton and TCE per day, it doesn't take into account the waiting time or the rerouting in, in uh, the Panama. So I would say it's uh, the, the index rates are, are not representing the actual earnings uh, for the VLGC players, much driven by the rerouting, which stretches the fleet, uh, which is also good for, for the, the freight market, but it creates somewhat a headache uh, for the ship owners. Yeah, and uh, thank you, Randy. And, and and another thing I think is just the which has surprised me on the analyst side has been the major impact of this IFRS effects on on the reporting, which uh, I yeah. guess has uh, also been an, a factor. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, okay. So so um, we touched a bit on it, the Panama Canal. I think um, for for the the listeners and viewers of this webinar, uh, let's just try and uh, nail down the implications of this and how far along we've actually come. Uh, Ted, um, a, a question for you: uh, How much will this impact, and how much is it impacting uh, the current situation in the LPG market? Um, look, clearly, uh, I, I would say it's impossible to quantify. Um, you know, you know, it's a it's a common question we get from the investment community. And as usual with LPG, there are so many things that are going on at any given time. So um, the Panama Canal is one factor, right? But as Randy pointed out, uh, VLGCs have been at the bottom of the pecking order since 2020. Um, you know, we dealt with drought conditions in 2019, uh, memory serves. And, uh, you know, so it's sort of a recurring theme, but at the same time, we've got um, very favorable ARB east-west, LPG map, but not so much, but Still strong pull through demand from uh, from from uh, from China in particular on the petchem side. So, what effect is what, what effect is 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 uh, if I try to isolate the effect of Panama, pretty hard. But clearly, it's it's uh, creating length in the fleet. Um, I think the interesting thing and picking up a little bit on what Randy said, um, she's of course agree wholeheartedly with everything. Um, with respect to the rates and the BLBG3, I think the interesting thing is we're seeing so much more in the way of Suez Canal transiting. And as much as everybody wants to use the uh, the BLPG3, um, you know, our, our, our chartering guys, and I'm sure my, my colleagues' chartering guys are finding that they get requests all the time for um, Houston Chiba via Suez, which is a different, uh, you know, not a quoted rate historically. Obviously, the guys can, uh, you know, run the math. It's just math. It's about 47 days one way. Uh, but there's a rebate on the Suez Canal transit, I think on the, 
the laden uh, passage. Um, so that you know, and uh, and also you know, sometimes you don't know necessarily if someone's uh, you know what someone's plans are if they're ballasting uh, towards the Middle East. Are they going to load Middle East or are they going to carry on to the U.S.? So I think it creates some some further opacity in what's already kind of an opaque market. Um, so I would say on balance, it's clearly providing more more floor for rates. Um, you know what happens when we unplug? I don't know, but we've seen these rates before. I mean, it's not it, it's not completely unprecedented. You go back to 2015, we've seen these rates. You know, we saw these rates in in in, in 22. Um, so and again, without the effect of the Panama Canal, so there are a lot of different factors at play. So trying to isolate just the Panama Canal is certainly beyond my crystal ball skills, but uh, maybe someone else has a better answer. <laughs> yeah, maybe dive direct quickly to you, Kistan. I mean, the, the, what what uh, what looks very interesting to me is that the uh, the actual transits they continue to be tapering into February. So I guess uh, you know what what I'm trying to nail down is you know how much is still ahead of us. Fair enough, the markets are tight at the moment, but will this just improve? Yeah, I think, you know, the um, just to kind of echo uh, Randy and Ted's uh, comments here, you know, the Panama Canal situation is uh, is not improving, uh, rather to the contrary. So, um, and we can also see even LNG carriers are diverting to, uh, to you know, through Suez and, and West Africa to a larger extent. Uh, so this is going to continue. And... Um, uh, and of course, combining the um, the um, restrictions in, in the Panama Canal with the increased uh, volumes from the U.S., you know, it's a it's a pretty powerful cocktail which we are kind of uh, seeing at the moment. Mm. And what about for you and in, in your business, uh, Mats? So the same same view, I imagine, bullish. No, I mean it's it's pretty much the same to in in in. Because we we don't right now take our ships through the Panama Canal because of the restrictions and and the pecking order, so that means that uh, what used to be a 75 day round trip uh, to to Asia is now more than 100 days. So that takes capacity out of our segment, and it means that they'll be, you could say, more strain on an already tight uh, supply-demand balance. It has been tightening for, for a while. Uh, there's no order book, pretty much. There's a very small order book in the handy segment and also amongst the smaller vessels. So with that healthy demand, uh, where U.S. production growth just keeps adding to, to demand, uh, it, looks, uh, it looks robust, I, I must say. Mm. And, and Panama is, of course, helping here, uh, taking capacity out of our market. Yeah. Okay, so, and then let's uh, let's move a bit into the fundamentals here on, on supply and demand. Um, and you touched a bit on it. I think one of the most interesting uh, indicators to follow in, in this sector is naturally the availability of LPG in the US uh, for exports. Um, one of the things that decide that is, of course, the US production outlook. And you can say the rig and drilling activity hasn't necessarily been too strong, uh, considering where the oil price has been for some time now. Um, how should investors uh, follow this and, and, and what's actually going on? Because uh, it does seem like the volumes are actually pretty good. Um, Randy, do you have any, any take on that? Yeah, I, I think we uh, need, to, need to look a bit back uh, to, to compare where we are today. Uh, the, the US LPG production has been very strong the past years. Um, from 2020, the LPG production has increased from 87 million tons to 110 million expected this year, which corresponds to an increase of 28% uh, just during three years. 
So this is much su supported by the terminal expansions we've seen, um, the higher gas oil ratio, uh, and that combined with the relatively muted domestic consumption in the US, uh, the propane stock levels are at, at historical highs, currently at 100 million barrels, uh, and continue to drive the arbitrage, uh, arbitrage levels up and, and leading to um, to increase the uh, export shares, uh, basically. Uh, so looking a bit uh, ahead the next years, um, the EIA forecasts, uh, the production is expected to, to uh, increase slightly, not much, about two to 3% next year and uh, relatively flat into into 25 uh, but uh, as long as the old price remains at, at decent levels lpg production will continue to increase uh, the us is projecting about a total production of 114 million tons in uh, into next year uh, and expansion projects are on the way in, in some US terminals in, in Houston, Texas, uh, with the Netherlands expected to add approximately 50%. Uh, Targa is also engaged in, in expansion projects. So uh, yeah, we, we assume that the response uh, is increased to export volumes. Yeah, you, you mentioned the, the EIA's uh, growth forecast uh, a bit uh, a bit low in our opinion. Uh, I think, you know, yeah. what's strange with LPG is it's essentially something that you produce that you don't want. So uh, there's uh, probably not been put too much effort into always figuring out what's going on, I think. But uh, you, hmm. since you mentioned the EIA, uh, I like to see that BW in, in the last uh, earnings call, they had uh, their, their, uh, their own formed forecast, which I believe was a bit... Uh, more optimistic, or what's what's the take, uh, Kristian? No, but I think um, uh, you know also to round this point, you know the the what we have historically underestimated is the um, how gaseous these wells are when they when they mature, and I think that's been very hard to to predict at least uh, from 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 a distance. And um, if you if you you know also when you when you see how the um, the oil majors and also the terminals are now investing in infrastructure in uh, you know local shale oil and gas drillers and, and exploration companies we see that as a very bullish sign for for uh, continued growth in the production exports of LPG because I don't think the the export terminals for instance would uh, double their capex plans and investment plans if they didn't see something in the horizon which was um, supporting this uh, this uh, investment. So, yeah. uh, but I think in, in hindsight, as an industry, I think we have, uh, many of us have underestimated the fact that the, the wells are becoming more gaseous, especially, especially the oil, uh, oil wells. Mm -hmm. And that has uh, kind of driven a lot of the, the additional exports that we have seen over the last uh, year and a half. Yeah. And Ted, I don't know if you have any anything to add, but uh, I was going to turn uh, the discussion a bit into the, the U.S. demand side, which uh, for this year has been surprising uh, uh, to the downside and essentially leaving more for exports. Uh, what's going on over there? Um, well, just just to pick up quickly before I, I answer that, yeah. um, you know, I think we we look at so we 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 don't do our own uh, uh, forecasts, and we don't have we, we don't we don't have that. Uh, we don't have that skill set the way I guess our peers do, but we, uh, you know, looking at some of the the, the private providers, um, you know, that we follow, uh, I think it's a more robust outlook. You know, uh, mid single digits, I'd say, for the next couple of years for propane and butane. Um, you know, globally, and a lot of that will be coming from the U.S. 
Um, and and I, uh, you know, an interesting fact that often gets overlooked by a lot of the investment community, um, and, and Randy and, and uh, Christian correctly highlighted it, um, is, is the much more gassy nature of, of what we see going on in the U.S. So to put it in context, a million barrels per day uh, in the U.S. yields three to three and a half million barrels per day of LPG, whereas the same amount of oil in the Middle East yields about one to one and a half million barrels per day of, of LPG. So, you know, it's not a barrel for a barrel, and like we touched on, increased productivity, making rig counts uh, perhaps a bit deceptive to look at. And 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 I agree absolutely with what Christian said about the investment that we're seeing in uh, out of the U.S. midstream guys who have some of the best businesses in the world because. They really only invest when they've got guaranteed offtake or a significant portion of it. And so, you know, I think that sort of underscores the fact that the U.S. continues to be, you know, frankly, in structural decline for uh, propane demand. Um, you know, the, 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 the ResCom share in the U.S. continues to decrease. Um, LNG continues to penetrate, um, you know, vast majorities of the country. Um, all new housing developments are really going to have LNG, not LPG, not uh, you know, maybe heating oil, but uh, to, for heating. But but again, uh, LPG is in a bit of structural decline. The only place we're seeing a bit of increase in demand is really in the pet chem sector, because obviously the same reason that U.S. priced LPG is attractive to the export market, it's attractive to the domestic market. But again, it's not. It, it, the, the, the counterweight isn't enough to offset the continued lack of demand in the U.S. as the production continues to to, to increase. So. Um, you know, I don't think it's a change from the past. It's historically what we've seen. The U.S. has been kind of flat to down in, in uh, generally in, in, in consumption. Um, you know, a bit of volatility based on what's going on in the, in, the, in the pet chem world. Although, look, more of that demand is coming from the ethane side, and it's Mods's word more, more, more than mine. But, uh, but obviously, we're really long ethane in the U.S., and um, that's not lost on our pet chem producers here domestically. Yeah, it's um, I guess um, <clears throat> for the viewing audience, if 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 not familiar, ethane even more gaseous than or or lighter uh, as a material, right? So so more difficult to export than LPG, right? And uh, that that was what surprised me when I started looking into it as well. And one of the theories that I heard is that uh, you have so much ethane over there that the relative pricing is very much in favor of using ethane instead of LPG, which could also be an explanation for maybe a sticky lower demand going forward. Is that something that you see, Mats? Well, when we look at the, uh, the the ethane market, we see that about 50% of the natural gas liquids that are produced are indeed the C2, the, the ethane, and which is then made into ethylene, which we also transport a, a lot of. Um, the demand side in the US is pretty predictable because we, we know what crackers are, are running at and, and, and how they're going to expand over time. So, uh, and the production of, of ethane, it just, just keeps growing. That means the gap between what can be off taken by the domestic demand in, in, in the US and, and also then what is being produced, it just keeps growing. And that leaves room, well, today part of it is exported and, and we, we take part in that and, and some of it is just rejected. I mean, it just stays in the natural gas because it's, it's not separated out. So you can say there's actually scope for, for much more seaborne uh, exports uh, from the US and, and, and that gap just keeps growing. 
Um, mm. We're seeing because of the Panama Canal issues that many of the VLECs that are on contract, they, they can't make it back to, to honor those offtake contracts that are in, in place. And, and that means that there's plenty of space for, for smaller vessels like ours, the, the handy size. So what happens right now is that probably around half of, of the export and, and the transport we do out of Houston is, is actually ethane. And it used to be dominated by, by ethylene. So we see very, very robust uh, demand for for transportation of, of both ethane and, and ethylene. And we just see that the, the, the growth is, is going to continue. Uh, and, and that means that the outlook is, is very robust, particularly given that uh, they're not coming any more vessels really into to, to transport it. Mm. And you're also on the infrastructure side with the, with the export terminal. So I yeah, guess I mean, you're, you're, the, you're the go-to yeah. guy when I want to ask, you know, is there enough capacity to see this volume being shipped out to the US or? Yeah, and we, we think there is not, and that's why we are expanding the capacity right now. We can export a, a million tons per year, and, and we're expanding it by end next year to at least 1.6 million, but up to 3.2, because we have a flex feature where the the uh, the, the terminal can, can switch between ethane and, and ethylene. So no, there's not enough capacity. So we're expanding it in Morgan's Point, Houston, but also at the same time, our partner Enterprise, they are expanding their export capacity for, for ethane. So there's clearly an, an issue here. Uh, US could export uh, much more ethylene and, and ethane if the export capacity, the logistics was, was in place. Mm. And what about on the LPG side? So propane, butane exports, uh, what does capacity utilization look like on the terminal side? And I'll leave leave the floor open who whoever wants to, to answer that. Uh, I'll jump in for starters, uh, since yes. I guess I'm closest to them, but doesn't give any particular, does not give me any particular insight. Um, you know, look, I think if you look across all the terminals, um, you know, we're probably 85, 90% utilized. I think there are some pinch points um you know as you as you look more at you know if you look if you look closer right and and so um you know some of the enterprise facilities are are getting full up and they're quite popular um one of the um i forget i guess galena park's okay um i'm blanking on there, there's one other one that's a little bit tight but again um they're all pretty close you know in the gulf coast so you, you know there is some ability to move it around but again i think the uh, I think overall we're not particularly worried about there being enough capacity in the near term, and given the investments that the midstream guys here in the U.S. are making, I think we all feel relatively, at least at Dorian, feel relatively confident it's not going to end up choking off trade uh, really at all, um, and, and we don't really see it much as being much of a near-term issue. But clearly, it's something that we all have to monitor. So, and mm -hmm. I, and I did, and I think it's limited to a handful of of terminals, but again, they know it. The trade knows it, and you know you're continuing to see record levels of exports out of the U.S. So, to me, that 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 sort of underscores the fact that there continues to be sufficient capacity to meet all this demand. Mm. Yeah, and there, um, yeah. Go ahead, Kisan. Yeah, we we also support that view because we and we also see that again the enterprise terminal. You know, the, you also have energy energy transfer are are expanding their capacity in 25 26 so there is more capacity also being brought online here which is uh, which is kind of matching the uh, expected uh, increase in export volumes which we yeah. uh, which we see yeah i agree but that that was really my point you know since since the terminals are now starting to invest and uh, take up their capex uh, i believe that would uh, 
that would indicate that the terminal's capacity is full. And right now, I guess, as we as we touched on earlier on, uh, we've been helped a lot uh, along the way to manage uh, quite uh, quite a lot of deliveries, right, uh, by some of the disruptive events around the Panama Canal in, in a period that maybe, you know, might have seen uh, the export capacity in the U.S. hit some sort of a ceiling in the near term. Um, is that a, a right statement or, or would you would you agree? I, I would not. Um, I, I don't attribute the absorption to the, uh, the Panama Canal. Okay. Um, I, if I have to attribute it to anything, and I'm probably in a minority, at least in my own company in this view, um, if you look pretty simplistically at the increase in exports from the Middle East, which had been flat at 34, 35 million metric tons um, after Mr. Putin invaded uh, and attacked Ukraine, um, magically or not so magically, 7 million metric tons transition to the Middle East. Um, you know, that's actually a million more metric tons than, this, than the Russians were actually exporting, none of which in our case, in our business's case was going on BLGCs. They went on some of Mads' ship uh, out of Usluga, about half that volume, at least from what we can tell, and the other half going on rail cars to Central Europe and to the, the, uh, the republics in the Caucasus, Kazakhstan and Georgia and the like. Um, mm. But, um, but so 7 million metric tons corresponds roughly to 28 BLGCs versus, you know, 42, let's say, deliveries that are probably going to happen this year, 46 originally expected. Um, to me, that absolves a lot of sin, i.e. absorbed a lot of capacity. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the Panama Canal helped. Uh, I don't know what would have happened had the, um, you know, had, had, had those 7 million metric tons not shifted. Um, you know, again, but we still we can still continue to see good pull through demand. Obviously, China waking from its COVID slumber helped, um, you know, catch up slack to slack capacity. But I don't attribute it personally to uh, the, the the Panama Canal effect. Uh, mm. Others may disagree. I, I I like your your I like your input. Ted. I actually agree. I think because my point has been, you know, for some time that you know you haven't really seen the the major effect of this Panama disruption yet. I would think so. That's that's the point. I think we yeah, yeah. still have a lot of fun times ahead of us, and especially when no, you look I mean, at the curve. I mean, it's starting to reflect that, right? Which is amazing. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think I think all of us uh, are are you know reluctant to look too far ahead, but I think. To your point, and, and Christian was probably the most adventurous among us in his comments, but I, I tend to agree with him. I mean, look, um, and, and Randy's right; they're cutting they're cutting transits further. Um, you know, I don't know what the rain forecast is. Um, all three of us have reported our bookings through, you know, uh, whatever the date we reported them all. They're all really robust, and rates have generally improved even since then. So um, I, I think they're. The, the tightness is is not expected to abate anytime soon. Um, obviously, it will. Um, and look, there's there's obviously you know look at some point you've got to be mindful of the fact that you know we you know it's wonderful how much money we're making and as you've pointed out many times, Jurgen, we capture as an industry a lot of the arm. Um, but you know the other other players in the value chain have to make money. So you know we don't want to see this go on. In my opinion, too too long before people start getting crazy ideas like. I don't know, pipelines underground or Lord knows, or pipelines across <laughs> Panama, which is Or a pipeline, yeah, Panama pipeline. That's the yeah, one yeah. we're so, all scared so of. Want, yeah. You know, um, you know, you know, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. Things get bad, hogs get slaughtered, so. Exactly. So, but you mentioned Middle East, I think, because that's a good point. I, I actually, uh, when we did our, our latest update as well, it was one of the things that surprised to the upside. Um, 
don't know if you want to take a stab on that, uh, Randy, but uh, you know those volumes, they look incredibly strong, even in a historical context. Uh, and despite what's been going on in terms of the OPEC production cuts and, and everything else, uh, what, what's going on and is it sustainable? I mean, is there any downside risk? Has there been built up uh, any storage that is now being drawn on or what's, what's going on? Uh, well, the uh, regional LPG output uh, is uh, expected to remain relatively tight, uh, even though it's been surprisingly high. Uh, looking at the uh, uh, kind of the dark side of the VLGC trade, um, actually quite a, quite a big chunk of, of the VLGC global fleet are, are going from, from Iran to, to China. Uh, we, we had a slide on, slide on that in our presentation as well. Uh, it might be that some of the volumes are uh, going into that captive trade. Um, but uh, as I said, um, we expect that the LPG output from from the Middle East uh, is expected to be to be tight uh, until the end of this year, as a result of the OPEC uh, yeah, cuts. Um, and the Vilgesis and the LPG market are heading into a peak winter season in the Northeast Asia, or we're actually in that season now, which should support freight rates in in the near term. So. Uh, yeah, mm. I, I think also the demand is expected to rise further into the Chinese PDH plants are, are due to um, resume more operations, uh, even though they have uh, experienced somewhat um, lower operating margins uh, during this quarter. Uh, they need to keep keep up the, the cash flow to, to handle that uh, portion. Yes. It's a bit contrary maybe to, because now as we move into sort of demand for LPG imports, I mean, it's a bit contrary maybe to the, the macroeconomic backdrop that we've seen that there should be that much demand in the pet chem industry uh, to produce plastics and chemicals uh, in a time when everything seems to slow a bit. Uh, what, what, should we, what, what, what should we look at in, in terms of drivers for that oil or underlying demand? Uh, case down if you want to go, uh, what, yeah, what indicators should investors follow? Yeah, I, th I think, you know, there are two main uh, demand sectors uh, in, in Asia and you have typically in the de developing world, you know, it's for the residential sector, heating, cooking, um, that's typically the Indian subcontinent, Southeast Asia. When you move further up to, to Northeast Asia, it's still a big residential demand, which is uh, supporting the, the imports. Uh, but of course, you have the PDH plants, which which especially the Chinese have expanded tremendously over the last couple of years. And um, we can, you know, there is there is a political drive behind this. So even though the, you know, the margins uh, these PDH plants are, are running at at the moment doesn't really seem to make sense. Uh, they, they also have, um, they also have an OPEX to, 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 to cover. So they need to have a run rate to, to cover their, to pay the bill, so to say. And we can, uh, we can see that there is a, uh, political will to to capture you know the pet game market uh, in in from the Chinese government side so that's probably supporting this uh, more than it would be if it was pure economic or financial um, uh, runners behind or drivers behind it. Hmm. I mean, I'd, I'd add to that that um, you know from what we understand, a lot of the profit margins that people are are focusing on are net profit margins and. Just kind of drilling down a bit on what Kristen uh, said, you know, they're covering. From what we understand, they're they're producing a positive variable margin, so they continue to make a, a contribution to, to fixed costs. So, um, economics 101 would tell you that they're being rational and continuing to produce. 
I think the other piece of the puzzle that's quite interesting is, you know, what in excess of 90% of these PDH plants, as we understand them, are part of more integrated producers um, producing, you know, acronitrile and, and, uh, and, and some of the other byproducts that are quite profitable. So obviously, again, Microeconomics 101 would tell you you should do your transfer pricing at marginal cost. So looking again at just one piece of the value chain, particularly as part of an integrated enterprise, probably is is, is a bit deceiving because Kristen's uh, absolutely right that there's definitely uh, political will there, um, and that drives a lot uh, of behavior. But uh, there actually is, from what we understand, a bit of economic logic to go with it, which is uh, provide some additional comfort. I think we all can. Uh, see the, the the political influence and, and how it plays a role in, in, in decision making in certain uh, state economies or state influenced economies, and then there's a little bit of you know old-fashioned microeconomics that also provides some support. So I think from both both perspectives, it's not the, the the guys appear to be heading fairly rationally, which again gives gives us some comfort about the longer term or midterm stability. So a potential recession doesn't really impact LPG demand. <laughs> okay. Sure. Uh, go ahead, Matt. No, no, that would be a that would be a brave uh, statement. Yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> for, for sure. But but I think you know at least for for some of the uh, products that we're transporting. I mean, if you look at the ethylene export, uh, if you look at that through COVID, uh, it it actually uh, accelerated. So it, it you saw a demand fall off a cliff in for many products uh, globally uh, during COVID. But but for for ethylene, it just uh, held up strongly and, and and just kept continuing. So so I don't think necessarily there is this one to one correlation with the global economy. I mean, it is uh, to some extent driven by the the arbitrages and and. And here it's back to really the very the structural price competitiveness of, of uh, the the products that are coming out of the US that that, that make a big difference. I'd also like mm -hmm. to highlight that what we're seeing right now is that the OPEC is uh, managing the output of, of oil, uh, whereas you could say the the gas is being freely produced. Uh, it's it's uh, it's it's a free market there, and, and and that probably means that we'll continue to see that that oil price the gap between or the competitiveness of gas vis-a-vis -vis oil will, will continue to, to be uh, strong here. So that mm. adds to at least my confidence in, in how that spread is, is continuing. I, yeah. I'd also, I, I think I'd just add quickly, because I agree with that, Mods. If you look really historically, right, if you go back to 1980, um, the, you know, the, the, the global LPG market has had only two down years of production and, and, and consumption. Um, so even and even so even in the great financial crisis, I think we were roughly flat on a global LPG production and consumption. I forget seaborne trade may have been down a tick, but but not much. But again, the relative profitability in in those times is obviously it can be more challenging. I mean, our, our our world operates I won't say independently of any of that, but you know overall less demand is never good for anybody, and, and, and financially mm. challenging times aren't good for anybody's business. But it's been sustainable, strong demand growth in this sector for a long time, which is one of the reasons yes. why it's interesting from a shipping perspective, right? No, um, absolutely. I mean, there's base demand. 47% of world LPG goes into heating and cooking. That, yeah, you can't you switch that off very quickly. And especially when gas heads to Europe all of a sudden, natural gas, yeah. then, then, then you know, it's a, it's a driver. Uh, another question I get a lot that I think we should, should answer is... Um, uh, you have all these impacts from Russia's invasion of Ukraine uh, going on in the tanker space. Uh, and uh, 
how, how does that look for LPG? I mean, has that been a contributor to the tightness in the market? And do we you know, see a risk if that should reverse on the LPG side that's equivalent to what we've seen in some of the other shipping sectors? Rande, would you like to give a, a short answer? Uh, yeah, sure. If we look at the uh, overall LPG export that goes to, to Europe, uh, it's actually a, a minor share. It's about 10, 10 to 15% of all seaborne uh, export. So not a lot, uh, as the uh, main trade patterns are between US, Asia, Middle East, Asia, uh, and the freight market is, is less exposed than, than uh, shipping in general, I, I would say. Uh, when that said, uh, we saw uh, um, a spike last year. Um, uh, last year, there were additional demand from from uh, for, for LPG in, in Europe in general because of the very high natural gas prices uh, on the back of Russia not uh, able to supply Europe anymore, which kind of incentivized the fuel switching by consumers away from gas uh, to to our other storage levels ahead of the peak winter uh, heating season. Uh, um, so, yeah, uh, it might happen again, but uh, but at uh, at this uh, point in time, we we don't expect or, or see any major spikes, uh, and that's also on the back of uh, of the capacity on on the terminal side for importing LPG as uh, as energy source. Hmm. But, but Jan, you were saying if it was to reverse itself, and again, you know, even if the war was to mi miraculously come to a halt uh, soon, which we all hope and pray it will, uh, there'll be a long time before uh, Europe will be uh, comfortable with, with Russia and, and with that dependency on, on energy from for Russia. So I see that this, what we've seen now, is not going to re reverse itself in, in, in two, three or five years' time. Um, maybe I can just add a comment on, on ammonia here. Here we saw a big disruption in the, in the trading patterns where Europe was importing uh, a, a lot of natural gas for production in Europe, but also uh, ammonia from uh, Russia and, and Ukraine. And, and here we had to transport it in from far away, like North America or, or Asia. And, and, and those trade patterns, uh, even when ammonia prices came down in the beginning of the year, we still see a very strong demand for, for, for shipping of, of ammonia. So I, I think this disruption is, is there, and uh, I think it's going to continue for a long time. Yeah, I was, I was just going to add um, on that in terms of the, the unwind effect. Um, I, I agree with everything you know, Randy and, and Mod said. And in addition, look, I think um, not an expert in tankers, but a big part of, 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 of where the Russian product comes from, right, is through the Black Sea. Um, and that's been heavily affected by, by the hostilities between uh, Russia and Ukraine for obvious geographic reasons. That's just not a part of our world. Um, you know, that's not a, that's, that, you know, to, to the best of my knowledge, there are no BLGC capable ports in there. Maybe there's some MGC capable ports, but it's just not a big part of the, the, the world. And, and so, um, you know, we're, we're fortunate in that regard. And as I already kind of highlighted, um, you know, the, the, the Russians kind of managed to, I don't know what they're doing with their product. I think some of it will go to China on rail car, but uh, next year I expect that'll be the case, but not enough to, that, that I think it'll make a dent in uh, the VLGC demand going into China. Uh, and, and, you know, as, as Mod said, I think it'll be a long time before the rest of the world feels comfortable purchasing uh, Russian hydrocarbons, uh, no matter how cheap they get. I mean, sure, they'll purchase them, but not in the same volumes and not to the same level of dependency. Mm. But Jürgen, I think it's, it's fair to say that we indirectly have been impacted because uh, the uh, the war has 
you know, increase the, the production of hydrocarbons in the US, uh, which is pretty much supporting the the um, the export we talked about earlier today. So it's uh, I think the indirectly the VLDC market has probably been been uh, been affected by the uh, by the Ukraine war. Yeah, I would agree, and then especially the gas flows that have changed and probably incentivated some some more uh, LPG imports. And then um, one of the explanations, you know, maybe why the, the market has been surprisingly strong this year. I remember going into this year, there was a lot of skepticism to the order book uh, with a lot of vessels being delivered. Um, some of those vessels have been delayed. Um, and one could argue, you know, there's still some deliveries ahead of us. Uh, are we are we out of the woods on this, Kristian, uh, or, or uh, how does the, the supply side look? Well, um, like you say, we, we are more or less uh, through the um, uh, the big order book uh, this year we have another let's say 15 16 ships or so to be delivered next year i guess and then another 15 the year after so there is there there are ships coming but if you uh, it seems like the are uh, the the um, um the new ships are being phased in quite uh, quite nicely and i think that's re reflected quite well also in the in the rate level that we're seeing and of course here there are you know uh, the main drivers are, as we talked about already, the Panama Canal uh, congestion and the increased volumes uh, from the U.S. And then also the Middle East volumes, you know, we talked about. And if you look a little bit forward, you know, after 25, 26, there's another uh, eight, nine uh, million tons, uh, we estimate, coming from Qatar uh, on the back of the LNG trains there. So there should be... Um, uh, Good reasons to to believe that this is uh, sustainable. Yeah, and what about the old vessels? We're seeing these regulations and shipping step in. Uh, are you seeing vessels being phased out, or uh, are they still hanging in? And then what's the outlook for that? Uh, yeah. Well, the, well, you or, see, the the uh, if you look at the vintage vessels built typically two thousand and six to two thousand and ten, you know, uh, we have had like I guess forty of them sold to um to uh, you know regional trade or storage uh, operations in southeast asia and caribbean and so on taken out of the market um so so there is that's also another factor which has it's not like uh, uh, these ships are sold to another owner who's trading them in the market they disappear from the market when they're when they're sold and that's also been a factor which i think we have underestimated over the last uh, year or so that you actually have had 35 to 40 ships which have disappeared from the spot day-to-day -day spot market and mm, taken are, those, are those the the black fleet vessels that you mentioned the uh, Dundee or uh, and are they, potential are for they getting them back or? yeah 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 there are some of these kind of dark vessels uh, which we estimate to be around 50 vessels representing 13 percent of the vhc fleet today uh, are going to storage capacity or, uh, and captive trade uh, between Iran uh, China, uh, where we don't participate. And mm. they are not participating in our spot market, basically. So they're yeah. taken out uh, of, uh, of the spot freight market where we're, uh, we are participating. So just to, I fully agree uh, with uh, with Christian here. Uh, uh, just a few comments uh, to add. Uh, uh, so looking at the global fleet today, about 40% is, is actually older than 10 years, which means that the majority of these vessels 
we'll need to have uh, engine power limitations on board uh, to meet the EXI regulations when speaking about regulations, uh, which was introduced the 1st of Jan this year, uh, and the ship owners need to have this in place during during uh, yeah year and uh, probably early Jan 24. So. This is basically a technical exercise which can easily be installed by sailing. It's not a, a major uh, modification. Um, uh, however, it, it also means that the vessel who are required to have this EPL installed on board to meet the regulations, the max speed will be reduced. Depending mm. on the spec of the vessel, of course, but uh, the, the, the max speed will be uh, estimated to, to be reduced by one to two, two uh, knots. So um, I have actually yeah. checked the speed of these vessels uh, in uh, <laughs> in the data flow uh, which we have access to, uh, and I see that the the vessels in uh, older than ten years have actually gone the the speed on these vessels ha have actually gone slightly up this year by one point one knots, as the market has been super strong. Hmm. Uh, so we haven't seen uh, the reduction in speed. In terms of increasing the ton mileage, etc., yet, uh, but I strongly believe that uh, it it will have a greater impact into 24 when the CII rating is available to everyone, uh, where we will rank the vessels with an ATE uh, ra rating, uh, and for any vessels obtaining D2E. Uh, or D rating for the three consecutive years and an E rating for one year uh, need to have a correction plan and, and take the vessel out of trade, basically. Uh, mm. So, yeah. You've had, you've had an exceptional I, market at the moment, right? So I think uh, yeah. at least, if, if anything, it's at least the safety valve should things uh, sort of normalize at some point. Yeah. I think there's a lot of potential. Go ahead, Mats. But, if you maybe, Jorgen, I can, I can just mention that the dynamics are a little bit different in the handy segment of the smaller vessels because here the order book is almost non-existent. I mean, 4% of the uh, fleet on water is right now in the order book to be delivered over the next two, three years. And so and the lead times in the yards are probably around three years if you want to build uh, a new one. So that means that our visibility on, this, on the supply is, is pretty good, actually. Adding to that is also that 20% of the global handy fleet uh, over uh, is is over 20 years old. So mm. uh, so so there really is an, an issue around uh, supply with that that will lead to a strength or a tightening of the uh, demand supply uh, balance here. We we yeah. tend to even despite the regulation and so on, we tend to trade our ships until 25 years and then they're sold also here for for regional trades and disappear out of of mm. uh, our trading. But I also I, I actually agree that or or I would I would say that uh, on the VLGCs after you know the coming quarter I think the order book starts to look pretty thin uh, as well so I think mm -hmm. actually across the, the sector it seems rather attractive on the supply side given where we are in the markets at the moment which uh, is a total you know U-turn from where we were a month uh, a year ago right uh, and yeah. and makes it incredibly interesting uh, so finally we'll, we'll soon jump to the Q and A but uh, just wanted to there there's been some uh, some uh, writing in the press Ted uh, about uh, about a new build uh, order um, can I ask uh, you know it, does that look interesting at the moment uh, you know given where prices are I mean it, it indicates stellar expectations at, at the current price level to build a new build what will you what would you say a new building or second hand value or or divest um, well um... You know, look, I think it's, um, 
it, 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 you know, look, they're very firm prices for the older vessels, as uh, Christian pointed out. We, we, we sold a few, uh, Avanza BW have also sold a few into that market. It's, it's been a pretty, pretty firm area. And obviously for all the reasons Randy uh, outlined, it, it, it makes sense. Um, you know, straight new builds, um, you know, straight VLGCs, probably a bit challenging at the current levels without making some very uh, potentially heroic rate assumptions to get to a, an appropriate IRR. Um, once you add it, you know, if you're looking at ammonia, um, which obviously is expected to be quite a growth trade, given the complexity, uh, the relative scarcity and what, you know, generally seems to be high charter or interest, um, it feels like you're probably more likely to be able to find rates that would justify the investment at those levels. Um, you know, only time will tell, but, uh, you know, based mm. on, on the environmental pressures and the, you know, in spite of, you know, what you read in the press, it's still a drop in the bucket in terms of, you know, the players in, in, in the market who, you know, invested in the, in the ammonia space. So time will tell to see what people do, uh, including us um, in that sector. Um, but, you know, there are, there is ample reason to be optimistic about uh, the future demand and indeed the rates that, that one could get. I mean, as technically demanding as shipping LPG is, um, and mods can speak to this far better, and uh, ammonia kind of takes it in many ways to a new level. The safety concerns for crew are, you know, multiples, I would say, because it, it, ammonia is so toxic. And, you know, I think it, I think it bears mentioning that uh, we all got to think about, we all think about the safety of our seafarers, everyone on this call, uh, the investment community may not appreciate that as much. So that's a real concern um, in making sure that there, there's all the right safety protocols in place. And that would typically be associated with, you know, ultimately a, a, a higher um, charter rate, because just like I think charters really care who ships their hydrocarbons, uh, charters going to really care that they're not on the front page of a major newspaper for a toxic ammonia release like happened in China or Taiwan uh, in 21 that unfortunately killed two dock workers. So, um, you know, it's, it's, a specialized, it's a specialized product that requires special equipment and special handling, and that usually leads to, you know, more, uh, more uh, supportable uh, day rates. Mm. Okay. I think um... – We'll we'll, um, we'll now do that polling uh, that we talked about uh, and and head a bit into Q and A, um, and I have some more questions as well. But you should see the the poll pop up uh, for you now. Uh, so please uh, please answer uh, those questions, and we'll get the results shortly. Um, and while that goes on, I'll look at some of the questions that have come in. Uh, one of them has been the um, the uh, the Fed's rate increase seems to be approaching an end. Um, how does that play into the uh, the LPG uh, the LPG uh, case, both on drilling activity, increasing production, port facility updates, and such? Anyone feel? Uh, yeah, maybe I can just add a comment here. I don't think any of us in our 
business case models had ever uh, used an interest rate close to zero. I think we've always, when we did our business cases, added some somewhat a normalized cost of debt into it because we knew that it was only for a short period of time we would see these low interest rates. So I don't think that in itself really affects the way we are thinking about investments because we, we, we never thought we could finance a ship for 25 years at, at uh, uh, nothing plus uh, 200 basis points. <laughs> Mm. So, so, but of course, I mean, it, it does impact the, 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 the drilling activity and so on. It also impacts our, our profit and loss statements that, that some of us have had now higher uh, interest rate cost and so on. So, so there's an in, impact that in, in that direction, but I don't think as, as such in, in, in our ordering activity. Mm. I think in terms of, I think I'd add to that again, you know, 47% of, of world demand, 50% of world demand come from residential commercial. Sure, at the margin, if you, you know, financially strapped, you, know, you, you might not refill that canister as frequently, but you're still going to be buying LPG for your heating and cooking needs. And on the pet chem side, obviously, historically, that's been a, an interest rate sensitive um, sector. But, you know, kind of what we all look at in our sector is, you know, what's already been committed. And, and so, you know, uh, when, when we're all aware of product projects and putting them into our own calculations, those aren't really speculative. Those are committed. So folks made those commitments absent the, the, the or, or in light of the, the, uh, the current interest rate environment or the now prevailing interest rate environment. So from that perspective, I think some of it's already baked in, but look, all else equal, you know, lower interest rates, we, we saw what that does. It, 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 uh, it's, you know, the equivalent of, uh, amphetamines for the economy. So, um, but, mm. uh, but, but uh, you know, again, in our sectors, probably less, uh, probably less uh, of an impact to be, I, I'd agree with Mats. Yeah, now we, we can end the poll and see if we, uh, we have any good answers. Um, so there were a lot of bullish people uh, on the call, uh, heading into the call uh, and uh, as much as 60% said, uh, you know, they were bullish to the LPG sector headed into the call. Um, albeit not very bullish, that was only 10%. But now uh, after after the discussion that we've had, 50% are equally bullish and 50% uh, are more bullish. I think we did our job. Um, and of the, the greatest, uh, the greatest uh, sort of focal points informing that view, uh, close to 50% talking about the shipping specific disruptions. I would assume that relates a lot to the Panama Canal, uh, but evenly spread actually uh, quite uh, across uh, the other answers as well, which is interesting to see. Um, I have another question here. You're earning tons of cash. Uh, will you will you think about adding even more dividends, or what are you going to do with all that cash? If anyone, uh, I, I I believe you pay out most of the cash uh, already. Many of you, uh, but uh, go ahead, uh, Christian, if if you want. Yeah, I mean, we 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 are you know our policies. Uh, pretty transparent you know so we um, as long as our net leverage is uh, is below um, or 20% or, or lower uh, we we have the ambition to pay out um, the um, uh, the earnings you know on, on the shipping side so uh, so we we think that's the best way in this market to return uh, value to our shareholders hmm. what about you Ted uh, you have this uh, discretionary dividend uh, how, how do you think about that going forward it's irregular. Not, it's, it's irregular, not totally discretionary. It's irregular. Okay. 
irregular. Uh, but, but it's uh, regular. To, it's it's pretty regular to being in the regular dividend, though. Uh, I wouldn't. That that's that's those are your words, not not mine. Um, <laughs> you know, we um, look. I mean, you know, we've been we've been pretty clear that we don't uh, we're not comfortable being tied to a formula. Um, you know, we look at our cash uh, forecast for which we have pretty good visibility for three months and uh, maybe a bit more, and, and we make some decisions in conjunction consultation with our board. Um, and, you know, obviously we've been uh, avid returners of capital uh, in this, in this uh, rate environment, and, um, you know, but, but it's still, we have to allow the flexibility to have a buffer, have a reserve for the inevitable bumps in the road, uh, future investment, and all those sorts of things. So I think, you know, you'll continue to see us do what we've been doing and and uh, really focus on total shareholder return. Yeah, um, thank you. And then um, I, I think uh, worth highlighting here, you know, we've been talking about this sector for a long time. It's been sort of the the deep value discounted sector in, in shipping. Now it's not. Um, so uh, how to capitalize on that valuation? Uh, we talked a bit about the new building prices being high, etc. Um, how uh, how are you going to use the the investors' uh, valuation of your company to uh, to generate growth? Is there um, what, what's the, what's the way to go forward? I'll leave the floor to whoever jumps on the mic first. I could add here that we're still the odd people out. Uh, we're still trading at a at a sizable discount to our net asset value, and you also haven't seen our net asset or our asset values uh, go up uh, to the same extent. They've they've gone up a little bit. So there's we we're still lagging somewhat behind here, and 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 that means that uh, share buybacks and and is 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 still a way to go forward. I mean, we introduced a capital return policy this year. That that is a, a part share buyback and, and part dividends. So, so we will continue to do that. But at the same time, we, we also still see a lot of attractive opportunities out there to grow our business, uh, both on the infrastructure side, as, as we're doing with enterprise right now and expanding the Morgan's Point uh, terminal. But also we see some scope for consolidation here where since asset prices have not really moved that much up, we still see some uh, attractive uh, transactions that could be done. Hmm. And uh, you've uh, you probably want to say something, Kristan, uh, on yeah, so we, <laughs> expanding into the uh, value chain. Yeah. So we uh, we have um, today announced uh, transaction on on the infrastructure terminal side, which is um, uh, we have communicated this to the market for a while that we uh, we have been looking at various opportunities to continue to to invest further into the value chain after the expansion of public services last year. So, uh, and we believe, especially in in today's um, uh, you know uh, new building price environment, secondhand price environment, that it's it's hard to to justify the the uh, the shipping to grow. I mean, it's hard to 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 find out how to grow profitably in shipping. So we um, we believe it's um, uh, it's a good time for us to to look at other ways of growing the business, like we have uh, announced today. And um, uh, we have kind of decided to to develop that business model because we we believe it's gonna uh, bring us into more uh, or make us more robust uh, over the cycles. Hmm. So Martin Christian expanding a bit into the value chain. Um, Rande, you you expanded from the VLGC side into MGCs, which are a smaller type of vessel. Um, what's the thinking behind that? 
Yeah, for, for Avanskas, uh, it's been all about investing and divesting at the right time of the cycle. So uh, taking you, you back in time a few years ago, we contracted the six VLGCs at an average price of 80 million. Uh, today, you, you need to pay about 120 million plus for deliveries in, in 27. So that was a, a good investment a couple of years uh, back. Um, and we basically saw the same opportunity on, on the MGC side. Um, the order book has been uh, relatively muted, uh, and we also see the potential on, uh, on ammonia demand uh, down the line. Uh, so, yeah, we, we basically acquired them due to attractive uh, pricing. We uh, acquired them at 61 and a half, and today they're quoted about 70 million uh, per vessel. Uh, so, yeah, in, in terms of uh, speaking about the uh, net asset values, uh, etc., we, as you said, uh, Jürgen, uh, with eight years uh, with a 30 to 50 uh, percent discount on the share, we're finally there. So it should be a very perfect timing of raising equity uh, if you're a listed company in our segment. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, for us, it makes sense to, to raise equity when you have a project attached uh, and uh, with the current new building prices and the second-hand prices for, for VFGCs, uh, we're focused on uh, on divesting the older part. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just not the right timing for, for Avance to, to contract more than we have the past years. So mm. our focus ahead is, is, uh, is maintaining, uh, returning shareholder value back by, by paying dividends, basically. Mm. And I know uh, we were running a bit out of time, but I got a very good question from us. So I thought I'd, uh, I'd end with that one because uh, I found it very interesting on the, looking at the order book, actually there's been a considerable amount of these VLECs, so the large uh, ethane carriers that have been ordered. Um, and uh, it's, it's a fair point. So a question to you, uh, considering you know all of this uh, uh, fleet expansion on the VLEC, segment uh, versus the demand growth uh, on the, the long-haul ethane trades. Uh, how does uh, the, the future look like for the smaller uh, vessel trades in, in that the vessel segment going forward? Well, you can certainly say that right now we are seeing that that there's not enough VLECs to uh, to fulfill the offtake agreements. Uh, so, so right now that means a lot of additional business for us. I mean, when that when the Panama Canal issue uh, sorts itself out, if it ever does, uh, and and once more VLECs are being delivered, that will mean that there'll be less uh, cross Pacific, cross Atlantic. Uh, uh, ethane transportation on our ships and that's fine because our business case is really not built up on on being a large transporter across the major oceans on on, on ethane it's kind of an icing on the cake right now uh, out the core um, scenario for us is really the ethylene export with the expansion of the terminal happening uh, meaning that there'll be a lot of additional ethylene transport for us so so i think we are we are fine uh, we are looking with great interest at the expansion and we think that ethane will be very competitive for a long period of time um, uh, out of north america hmm. okay um i think uh, the time has run out uh, and uh I would say uh, thank you, uh, thank you to everyone listening in and joining. Um, there were quite a few questions. Um, I didn't get around to answering them all, I'm afraid. Um, but uh, and also thank you to the panelists for taking their time um, to to uh, thank to you. answer and explain. Thank you. What's going on. Thank you.
Thank, Thank you. you. So, and then I have a closing, uh, a closing remark. Uh, Thank you, everyone, uh, for taking the time to join us today. Please note that this webinar will soon be made available for access upon demand on Capital Link's website uh, at uh, www.capitallinkwebinars.com uh, and on Capital Link's YouTube channel. So tune in if there's anything you want to hear once more. And, and with that, I say thank you to everyone for joining and thank you to our panelists. Have Goodbye. a fantastic day, all. Thank you. Bye. Bye.